You guys doing well? You look beautiful. I love getting up here and just looking around. Anybody right in the middle of finals? If you just had your last one today, make sure you pray for those who are taking them tomorrow. They need a little extra prayer support. Amen? <laughs> I am uh, really excited to jump into a, a new series tonight, begin a, a new kind of collection of talks. And uh, I think it's going to be really, really good. We've been uh, talking the past few months, actually, about some, I guess you could say, I don't know about heavier things, but maybe just kind of some deeper, like, uh, heady things, like really intellectual type things. We talked about uh, spiritual disciplines for a couple weeks, and then the past uh, last month we talked about these beliefs that we have about God and this kind of this theology that we form about him that's not really true. And so we've been kind of up there in the clouds with things, but I want to spend the next few weeks really getting down to uh, some practical things that I believe will change your tomorrow. I think if we're not talking about things tonight that can change your tomorrow, then we're just kind of wasting our time. And so I want to talk for the next few weeks about some things that I believe can impact your life. Actually, you don't even have to wait till tomorrow. You could jump in tonight if you wanted to. Uh, but I just, I've been, I think the Lord's put kind of a heaviness on my heart recently, and I don't stay in this condition. Maybe I should, but recently to pray for our country. And so I've just been spending a little bit of time just praying for our country because it doesn't take long if you just look around just to see the division that is happening amongst all different, like, crowds of people, right? It's just, it's just happening amongst everybody. And, and really, people are grouping up with people who are like them. And part of that is just natural humanity. I believe you want to be around people that are like you, but it's happening now in, in a toxic way. And so you got your, you know, Republicans getting all together, your Democrats getting all together, and, and then you start getting races at each other, and I only jump in with my race, and we're fighting against this race, and all these different division things that's happening. And, and uh, I've just been encouraged lately because the Lord's been reminding me of the beauty of being a follower of Jesus and being in a community of followers of Jesus because really cool thing when when Jesus established these followers that would go after him it like negated any race any background any culture any there's no neither Jew nor Gentile we all came together under the same belief and what unites us I love that word listen to that word what unites us together no matter what your race is, no matter what your political stance is, no matter what your background is, what unites us together is the belief that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again from the grave. That's what unites us together. And actually, that uniting of that is stronger than any other bond that you will ever have. Stronger than a bond within your own race, stronger than a bond within your own family, stronger than a bond within your own political party, stronger than any of that is the bond that we carry as believers. Because check this out, all of that other stuff is external. When we become followers of Jesus, it's an internal bond that we have. I'm bonding with you because of internal change that's happened in our lives. It's stronger than anything else. And when that happens, I love the book of Ephesians because it talks about how we're called to treat one another. And really, it's Paul writing this book saying, hey, you guys now have this unity. You're not Jew. You're not Gentile. You're not different backgrounds. You guys have this unity together 
under this common belief in Jesus. So here is how you're going to treat each other, and here's how you're going to treat one another. So I want to read to you some scripture that we're going to kind of base these next few weeks off of, and uh, we'll go after it together. Are you ready? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, to be a believer. That's the calling you've received, be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Be completely humble and gentle. gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then it goes on and it says this later on in the chapter. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid, this part is crazy, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Apparently, this is what the unity amongst believers, this is what they would be known for, that this is how they would treat each other and treat those that didn't believe like them. It was something that was going to mark them as different. How powerful. How powerful that that is what would mark us as different. And so as we move forward in this series, I'm going to talk about, uh, we're, we're calling this series, yeah, okay, there you go. We're calling it My Big Fat Mouth. <laughs> I love it. You can laugh. It's funny. I'm calling it My Big Fat Mouth because uh, the words that come out of our mouth, uh, they can be toxic. You can either lift people up or you can tear people down. And so uh, as we move forward into the series, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how we talk to each other. But tonight I want to gather around something that I believe is not really about how you talk to each other. It's more about just you and how what comes out of your mouth affects you internally. And so uh, I'm really excited. Can I, can I pray for us as we get going? I know we've prayed quite a few times, but would love just to kind of open our talk up. So, Lord, uh, would you make this stuff come alive? Would you make it more than just words? And, um, Father, we really want that. Change us from the inside out. May we, uh, may we stick out to the world because of how we treat one another and how we talk to one another. And, Lord, change us, we would pray. And, Father, we do ask that you would help the Cleveland Cavaliers to win tonight. We know you have anointed LeBron James as the GOAT. So help his teammates to step up. We pray in Jesus' name. If you believe it, somebody say amen. amen. Come on, don't lie. You pray for your sports teams. I know you do. How many of you love sleep? I don't know of anybody that doesn't like sleep. If you don't like sleep, come talk to me afterwards because I don't know. Maybe there's a medical condition for that or something. I, I, um, I love sleep. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, maybe those of you that are studying for finals right now, you're envious of those who sleep a lot. Um, but if, if you love sleep, all those that raise your hand, let me just tell you something, just give you some advice if I can just be, you know, that guy uh, tonight. Let me just give you some advice. Don't have kids. <laughs> Don't have kids because you will lose all sleep. And uh, I'm going to tell another story about my kid. I know I've been doing a lot lately, but he's my kid. So, um, Having kids, I've, I've learned to live off a little sleep, having a kid. And so um, when he was like zero to six months, the reality of sleeping 
Oh, man, it hit me hard. So from like zero to six months, little dude was waking up throughout the night, just regular, routinely, just became a thing. So I don't know how many days that is. If you're a math major, multiply 30 times six, maybe add a few for the months with 31. I don't know. That's a lot of days. So imagine that many days, uh, imagine that many days every night just waking up, right? It was killing my wife and I, if I'm just going to be honest, give my wife a shout out, mainly her because she was a beast and she was waking up more than I was. I love her. And um, every single night, just imagine that. And then from like six months to 18 months, so that's like a year, uh, from six months to 18 months, we finally got him to sleep because we got to a place where like, listen, this is not working anymore. Uh, we got to make some sh- some strong calls here. So we started this thing called the cry it out method. Uh, brutal. Imagine what that means as a parent is I'm going to hear my little boy crying in his crib, and I'm going to say, cry it out, son, get over it. That's what I want to say. That's the cry it out method. And so I was a little timid to do that, but I finally got to a point where I needed my sleep more than I did that. So I said, all right, son, cry it out method, go for it. So after a few days, actually, um, Little dude finally got it under control. So he starts sleeping through the night, sleeping through the night. However, he's waking up at like 5 a.m., going to sleep at 7.30, waking up at 5 a.m. Sometimes he would be nice and sleep till about 5.30. So imagine that for a year. Like, I'm an early person. Anybody an early riser? I'm an early riser. But imagine 5 a.m. for a whole year. Every single day. Now, here's what that means. That means weekends, y'all. Listen, there is nothing better than Saturdays sleeping in. Amen? Nothing better. But my guy doesn't know anything about sleeping in on weekends. He was all over at 5 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday. That means going on vacations. Time to sleep in, right? Not for my dude. He is 5 a.m. routinely. Then a miracle happened, y'all. A miracle happened about two weeks ago. Out of nowhere, Cade, his name's Cade. I call him my dude, my guy. <laughs> his name is Cade. Cade decides that he's going to sleep in. Out of nowhere, slept in until 7.30. How many of you, that's still early for you. You're like, dang, that's so early. Decides to sleep in till 7.30 in the morning. And then, and then one morning, he decided he was going to sleep till 8 a.m. We don't know what happened. I think it's like a growth spurt he's hitting in this age range or something. So he's just out cold for like 14 hours, right? So one morning, 8 a.m., he decides to wake up. Now, I've been used to the 5 a.m., 5.30 thing, so I've been adjusting my schedule accordingly. This 8 a.m. thing threw me off, and it was this exact morning I was taking care of. My wife was gone to work, so it was my job to get him up, take him into daycare and everything. So he sleeps till 8 a.m. Well, I had a meeting that morning at 8 a.m. So he's asleep, and I'm going... I don't know what to do. Like, this is, uh, like, should I wake him up or whatever? So I wake him up, like, right before 8 a.m., get him ready, take him into daycare, and I ended up 30 minutes late for my meeting. So on my way to my meeting, I call my wife. I'm like, this has been a terrible morning. You won't believe what happened. Kate decides to sleep till 8 a.m. I'm stuck. I'm going to be late for my meeting. This is awful. The rest of the day is ruined. You know, blow things out of proportion. The rest of the day is awful. God's not in this day, right? Somehow we, like, come to these radical conclusions. I'm like, this is terrible. And she said this to me. She said, do you realize that you're complaining about, like, the opposite thing we were complaining about two weeks ago? Like, two weeks ago, we were complaining that he was waking up too early, and now you're complaining that he slept in too late? 
leave it up to my wife to just be that cool. She said, do you realize that, that you're basically complaining that God answered our prayer request? You can't do that as a believer. You can't complain when God answers your prayer request. So we've been praying for like months. God helped this little kid to sleep in. Then he finally does. And what do I do? I complain all day because my day's ruined. Everything's going wrong. He decides to sleep in. He's messed it all up. Just complaining like crazy. How many of you know somebody that is just a perpetual all the time complainer? Not the person next to you. Of course, it would not be the person next to you. But, but you, guys, you guys know what it's like to be around somebody that just has a complaining spirit. And it's just like nothing is ever going right with this person. Nothing. They can never be just satisfied with anything. There's always something wrong. They're always complaining about something or another. You guys know that person? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Um, isn't it exhausting to be around that person? Absolutely exhausting. But listen, all of us are guilty of this. All of us are guilty of complaining. Obviously, complaining is just something that happens. But, but sometimes a complaining spirit can set in on us. And I'm telling you, it's toxic to your relationships. It's toxic to your own life. And all of us are guilty of it. I think, I think one of the signs of maturity is actually when you just know what's going to cause you to complain, so you just avoid that stuff. <laughs> I, it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of true. The other, uh, like a week ago, I was talking to someone about going to Six Flags this summer, and it was going to be hype, and there's all these new rides that I haven't, rigged, I haven't been in a few years. It's going to be awesome. And then finally I was like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to be like the biggest tool ever standing in a line in the 90-degree heat. Let's just pass. Let's pass on that. I'm going to skip out on Six Flags because you're going to hear me complain like crazy. Right? you got to know what, what causes you to complain and then just stay away from those kinds of things because, you know, everyone's going to hate you because of it. But when I think about complaining in the Bible, by the way, we're talking about complaining tonight if you haven't picked up on that. When I think about, uh, when I think about complaining in the Bible, there's this one story that really sticks out to me, and it's in the Old Testament. And it's a story about uh, a guy named Moses and kind of his role of leading the people of God out of their slavery, out of their captivity, and into freedom, right? You may be familiar with the story, but just to recap, he, God's chosen people, the Israelites, are in slavery uh, in Egypt by Pharaoh. So he's got them enslaved, he's got them working, uh, you know, just ridiculous type human labor type things. And so God raises up Moses as a leader, and he says, you're going to go set my people free from that. So that's a wild story. You should read it sometime. But he gets to the Israelites, and then all these things have to happen. Like all these crazy miracles have to happen for this to go down. Let me list a couple of them. First of all, God issues 10 different miraculous plagues to turn the heart of Pharaoh. Ten different plagues happen, like miracle-type things, to turn the heart of Pharaoh. He parts the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to walk through it to the other side. He ends up drowning Pharaoh's army so they can't get to the other side. He fed God's people in the wilderness with literal manna from heaven. Literal bread from heaven is how he feeds the people in the desert. And then somehow their clothes never wear out either. He provides everything they need for them. And then do you want to know how they respond? If you're going with the theme of tonight, you could probably guess. Let me read to you in uh, Numbers chapter 11, a few verses. This is what it says about how the Israelites responded. It says, one day some worthless foreigners among the Israelites 
became greedy for food, and even the Israelites themselves began moaning. This is what they said. We don't have any meat. In Egypt, we could all or we could eat all the fish we wanted, and there were cucumbers and melons and onions and garlic. Like, why were these the things that they wanted? I don't know. Then it says, but we're starving out here. And the only food we have is this manna. And then it says this about the manna. The manna was like small seeds. It tasted like something baked with sweet olive oil. It appeared at night with the dew. In the morning, the people would collect the manna, grind or crush it into flour, and then boil it and make it into wafers. Sounds like a pretty good system. The last verse says, the Israelites stood around their tents complaining. Remember what we had in Egypt? Don't you want to yell at these people and say, yeah, I do. You had slavery in Egypt. That's what you had. And yet now they're complaining because they have literal manna from heaven, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough. They want what they used to have. What a bunch of idiots. And that's what I was thinking, and then God whispered something to me. He said, I wonder how many times I'm in the process of taking you from one thing to another, and you're just sitting there complaining in the middle of it. I wonder how many times I'm in the process of delivering you from something and taking you into another thing, but because you don't really like the circumstances around you, you just keep complaining. I'm guilty of it. Chances are you're guilty of it. We're all guilty of complaining. So what do we do about it? I want to give you tonight, I want to give you three problems with complaining. Three problems with complaining that I hope will, uh, in some ways, tear down this thing that is really bringing a lot of toxic relationships and it's really bringing a lot of toxic habits into your life, this thing of complaining. Are you ready? Number one that you need to know, problem with complaining is this. Complaining produces poor expectations. Complaining produces poor expectations. There's a doctor named uh, Dr. Travis Bradbury who wrote a great book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And uh, in this book, he spends some time uh, really, really writing about the research that he's done uh, on the issue of complaining. And one of the things he says this is he says that repeated complaining hardwires the brain to do, guess what, more complaining. Repeated complaining literally, scientifically, hardwires your brain to do more complaining. In other words, the more negative that you are, the more likely your brain is going to lean into negativity over and over and over again. And he and others talk about what it means just to have this kind of negative mindset that before long we enter into what's called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, which essentially says this, says that uh, you expect something to be bad, therefore you get what you expect. And it's this crazy, like, endless cycle that we get into where you complain about something, therefore you don't have 
really good expectations that anything is going to change. You have poor expectations. And then as a result of your poor expectations, you get a poor experience. And then it circles back around. Because of your poor experience, you just continue to complain. And because you continue to complain, you have poor expectations of what could happen. And then because you have poor expectations, what you experience is poor. In other words, your expectations affect your experience. Your expectations affect what you experience. Notice I didn't say it determines what you experience, but it does affect what you experience. So what do we change? I believe that when we look at this, the first thing to change when we're talking about complaining is we don't change complain. We actually change our expectations. If we could learn to change our expectation, then it would offset the cycle and everything would shift. That's the first change, to change our expectation. Listen, as a believer, I don't know if you know this, but as a believer, you have the right to believe in good expectation. You have the right to have good expectations about the future. We have that. I have the right to believe that the best is yet to come for me. That tomorrow is going to be better than today because we serve a God that makes all things new. We serve a God that is not stuck in the past, but he's bringing new things to come in the future. We serve a God that, that doesn't uh, hold us like a stick in the mud in our past, but he revives us into a new future. We serve a God where anything is possible. So I don't have to just be stuck in complaining about what is now I have the right to expect better things in the future. So we as believers can have expectation, high expectations for what's to come. High expectations for the future. We were gathering tonight praying. Before you guys got here, a couple of us were praying for tonight. And we're saying, hey, let's have high expectations of what God could do. Because it could happen. That's the kind of God that we serve. He could do whatever he wants. All things are possible. He could do whatever. So let's have high expectations for it. Let's believe that it could happen. Your expectation affects your experience. That's why someone who walks into church saying, I'm expecting God to move. I'm expecting God to speak to me. I'm expecting God to speak to my neighbor. I'm expecting to have an encounter with him. I'm expecting God to open up a door for me to have an opportunity to speak to someone, to minister to someone, to pray for someone. I'm expecting God to move when I walk through those doors. I'm expecting it to happen. Those people usually have the best experience in church because their expectations were high. Those are the best. I think, personally, I think it goes into your day. I think you can wake up in the morning with high expectations for what's to come for that day. I expect it to be a great day. I expect God to be in the middle of my day. I expect, listen to me, I expect God to take the things that I didn't really plan for, that I don't really like, and somehow turn them together for my good. I expect that of God. I expect God to give me an opportunity to bless someone today. Those are my expectations for the day. But how many of us don't wake up with that expectation? How many of us don't do that? Raise your expectation. And listen, this is not just like positivity, fluffy, hipster stuff. Let's all be positive. No, this is scripture. I want to read to you in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think 
on these things. Think on those things. I don't know about you, but I want to be someone who wakes up and thinks on those things. I want to have high expectation that those things are in my future. Don't you? I believe if we'll change our expectations, he'll change our experience. But the problem is complaining puts a focus on what is rather than what could be. That'll preach right there. You guys just don't know it. The problem is complaining puts a focus on what is rather than what could be. And yet God tells me to live by faith, not by sight. But sight shows me what is. Faith shows me what could be. Come on. Faith shows me what could be. I want to be a person of faith, don't you? I want to be a person that believes that what could come because I serve a God where all things are possible. What could be? Walk by faith, not by sight. Don't let complaining choke out your faith. Number two, not only does complaining produce poor expectations, but complaining produces complacency. Somebody say complacency. We've been talking a lot lately about Paul in the Bible, and um, I just like him, and, and I can't help but bring him up again in this topic of complaining because if you study the life of Paul, the top thing on Paul's bucket list items for him to do with his life, and really it was more than just a bucket list item, it was what he believed he was called to do. The top thing that he wanted to do is he wanted to make it to Rome because he believed if he could go preach in Rome, spread the gospel in Rome, he could get to the leaders. Rome was like the mecca center of that area at the time. So he believed if he could get to the leaders, if he could get to that mecca center, then the gospel would go out more effectively from Rome. That was his like dream. He wanted to get there. Guess what Paul's reality was? He made it to Rome, but he didn't make it as a preacher. He made it as a prisoner. So he gets locked up and sent to Rome to be in prison. And he spends about two years in chains in a prison. 24 hours a day, chained to a different Roman guard, awaiting what was probable his execution. Just waiting for this. Two years waiting for this. I want to read to you what he says in Philippians chapter 2. So while he's there, he writes this letter to uh, the church of Philippi, and uh, this is what he says in verse 14. While he's in prison, he writes this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. <laughs> Another version says do everything without complaining. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. <laughs> Coming from this guy, if anybody has the right to complain, wouldn't it be Paul? Locked up in jail, wanted to be a preacher in Rome and said now he's a prisoner in Rome. And he says, do everything without complaining. How many of you have ever got up to someone and you said, bro or girl? I don't, what's the equivalent of bro in girl language? Sis. Bro, sis. <laughs> uh I just, have you ever said this? I just need someone to vent to. You ever said that? Am I the only one? I just need somebody to vent to. Can I just vent to you real quickly? I just need someone to just 
I got stuff going on. I just need to let it all out. I just need someone to vent to. You ever said that? I've said that frequently. I actually think that venting is a positive thing. Like you need, you need someone that you can go to and uh, someone that you can trust and just say, hey, I'm just going to kind of let out what I'm feeling right now. Just listen to me, and then you can give me some feedback and uh, someone that you trust to give you some godly feedback. Notice I said you need one person. When you start going to multiple people with your venting, that's no longer venting. That's gossiping, right? So you go to one person, say, I need to vent to you right quick. I need to vent to you. I actually think venting is a healthy thing. However, how many of you know that venting has never actually produced change? It just kind of gives you a relief inwardly. It just kind of releases like a pressure on you, but it never actually produces any change, right? Complaining is the same thing. Complaining gives you like a relief inside, but it doesn't actually produce any change. It doesn't actually do anything to solve the situation. And when I complain, I'm tempted to believe that I'm solving the issue, but I'm actually not. I'm actually not. I'm just talking. I'm not doing anything. And over time, that will build in you a complacency. Because you think your complaining is solving stuff, but it's not. And so you get complacent about actually, actually changing what you have a problem with. And you just get comfortable with just talking. And you become all talk and no action. You know what your boss wants at work? You know what your boss wants? Your boss at work wants someone... To not just complain about the problems at work. He or she want, wants someone to say, hey, here's, here's the problem that we're having. Here's what I see. And here's a solution to how I think we can fix it. Here's how I think we can fix it. I'm telling you, that's what your boss wants at work. What does the verse say in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15? I, it says this, so that you may become shameless and pure, children of God without faith in a warped and crooked generation. And then it ends with this. I love this part. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. If you do everything without complaining, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. I wanted just to tell someone in here tonight, if you're looking for a promotion or if you're looking to do better at work, why don't you stop complaining? And then you will shine amongst everyone else like stars in the sky. You'll get it. You'll stand out eventually if you'll stop complaining. If you're looking to have a better relationship, if you're looking to have a better marriage one day, stop complaining about the other person all the time. Stop it. If you're looking to have an impact on social justice issues in the world, stop complaining on Twitter and actually get off your butt and do something. Do something to make a difference. We should. Let's do something. We don't need more complainers. We need more leaders. And leaders actually put action to things. One more. If you want to actually make a difference in the kingdom of God, if you want to make an actual difference in the kingdom of God, stop complaining about everything the church is doing wrong and get in the game and actually do something about it. If you want to actually make a difference, Get in the game. We need you. Do something. Be a leader, not a complainer. 
and leaders put action to it. If you study the life of Paul, I think he would say a few things to us. One of the things I think he would say is this. If you can change your circumstances, if there's something negative and you can do something about it, then do something about it. Do something about it. If there are negative circumstances, something that is unpleasant, something that is not right, something that doesn't sit easy in your soul, and you can do something about it, then do something about it. In other words, we're not going to go through life just complaining about everything and not doing anything about it. If there's something we can do, it's, listen, it's not a sin to point out where something is wrong. That's not a sin. I believe that maybe where it leads into sin is when we just keep pointing things out and complaining about it, yet we don't take an action in it. So if there's something that doesn't sit well with you, if there's some unrighteous anger in your soul about how something is going and you can change it, then change it. Let's change it. Don't complain about it. Don't just put comments on social media about it. Get out with your life and do something about it. And then I think he would say this. If you can't change your circumstances, if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. If for some reason you can't change what it is that you don't like, then change your perspective. Which leads us to point number three, and it's this. Last point. Jared, come on up. Complaining produces me-centeredness. Complaining produces me-centeredness. I want to finish reading this uh, scripture in Philippians chapter 2. We already read 14 through 15. I want to jump down to 17. And it says this, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Let me say it again. Paul says this, Even if I'm being poured out, Like a drink offering on the sacrifice, I rejoice with you. I rejoice. What in the world does he mean by being poured out like a drink offering? There's this one uh, Greek word that sums up the whole phrase. And it's this a word which I think is an epic word. It's the word spindo. <laughs> spindo. And uh, this word literally means to spend it all. To spend it all. And it's a powerful word. Contained a lot of power. And the people that heard Paul say this, they would have known exactly what he meant. But to spend it all. And this is kind of what it's referring to. Back in the Old Testament when they would make burnt offerings, they would get an animal and they would sacrifice it on a burnt offering. And then kind of the last like final step that they would take with the burnt offering is they would take their most expensive drink which was probably some sort of wine, or some people believe that it was honey because back then honey was expensive and hard to come by. But they would take their most expensive drink and on the burnt offering, they would pour it out. And when they poured it out, it would hit this burnt offering. And then you know what happens when a liquid hits a flame or something, a lot of smoke just And it was like the smoke, it was the incense rising to heaven and it was their burnt offering. They would pour out their most expensive drink. And it was their offering to heaven. So some people believe that Paul says here that even if he's being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice, some people believe that he's talking about even if I have to ultimately give my life 
his eventual martyrdom because he would eventually give his life for the sake of Christ. But I, I really believe that he's not talking about that because the verb here that is used is, um, what is, what is, hold on. I'm not good with grammar. The verb is a passive present tense verb, which means that he's saying that even if I am being poured out, not even if I am poured out, even if I was poured out, even if I'm poured out, he says, even if I am being poured out. In other words, even if my life every day by day, I'm being poured out, I'm withering away for the sake of Christ, I'll take joy in it. I'm being poured out as an offering. How could Paul be in prison, chained up to a Roman soldier, offer praise and worship to God? How could he do it? I'll tell you how he could do it. Paul was not the center of his own story. Jesus was the center of his story. Paul was not the center of his story. Jesus was the center of his story. And because Jesus was the center of his story, he could take a negative circumstance and change his perspective about it in such a way that it would impact what God was able to do through his negative circumstance. He could take a negative circumstance and change his perspective about it. Because Paul was not the sinner, Jesus was the sinner. Later on, or earlier in the book of Philippians, he writes to the church and he says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Check it out. What has happened to me, being in chains, in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. He says, as a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard that I am on mission. It's become clear through the whole palace guard the message of Christ as a result. And then he says what we just read. So I'll take joy in it. I'll take joy in my negative circumstance. I'll change my perspective to see what is a negative circumstance. I'll change my perspective and say, you know what? God is good all the time. He's still working in my story. He's still in the midst of it. He hasn't left me. I'll change my perspective to see this could be, this could be why God has me in this place is because the Roman soldier chained next to me, I get to share the gospel with him. I get to share Jesus. And every eight hours, they would switch out Roman soldiers. So I got fresh ears. I got virgin ears to listen to the gospel. Every eight hours, I got a chance. It wasn't, oh, my circumstance sucks. It was, oh, they thought they had me as a prisoner. Little did they know, they were just giving me a place to preach. They were giving me a people to preach to. Took a negative circumstance and looked at it through a different perspective. I came to ask someone here tonight, just real simple, real simple. What is it that you're complaining about that maybe God would have you just to look at it with a different perspective? Maybe God would have you just to look at it with a different perspective. Maybe he's bringing about what he wants to bring about in the middle of it and you just don't know. 
I can't change my circumstance, but I can change my perspective on it. And so let me just say this to you as we close. If you can do something about it, do something about it. If you can bring your A game, bring your A game. If you can pray, pray. If you can work hard, work hard. If you can get counseling, get counseling. If you can get help, get help. If you can get wisdom, get wisdom. If you can turn over a new leaf, turn over a new leaf. If you can do something about it, do something about it. But if you can't change your circumstance, change your perspective. Change your perspective. Change the way you look at it. Change the way you think about it. Change the words that come out of your mouth about it. Choose to see God's presence and his power, even in the middle of something that you probably wouldn't have asked for. So here's what I've been praying for you tonight. First, I've been praying that if you have a complaining spirit, if you sit here and just be honest with yourself, you go, you know what? I spend a lot of time complaining. Would you be so bold to just ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of that? And the next time you go to just pop off with complaints, just to convict your heart and say, you know what, I don't want to be a complainer. Complaining produces poor expectations. Complaining produces complacency. And complaining produces a me-centeredness. I don't want to be a complainer. And then secondly, I would just ask you, would you be so bold to just ask God to help you see with a different perspective? To help you see whatever it is you're complaining about with a different perspective. I don't know if it'll change it, I don't know if it'll change your circumstance, but I know it'll help you see it differently. I think of the story of Paul. You know what? Eventually, he did give his life. Eventually, he was murdered for being a Christian. Didn't change his circumstance completely, but it changed how he looked at his circumstance and changed how he made the most of what he was in. Can I challenge you to make the most of whatever you're in, to look at it with a different perspective? Let me pray for you tonight. The band's going to come back up and lead us. And so, Father, Lord, there's um, a lot on our hearts. Each person carries different things on their heart. Each person carries different things that they wish were different. Maybe things that they're just passionate about or circumstances that they're in that they wish were not the way they are. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give us the, the wisdom to know where the things that we can change are. And give us the courage to go change it. But, Lord, I pray an even more difficult prayer, I believe, is that you would give us the perspective on our circumstance to see it differently. A perspective of whatever it is that we're busy complaining about. Lord, give us a perspective to see it differently. To see it as though maybe this is how you're going to use me to work through this. God, maybe this is how you want to grow me up. Maybe this is... Maybe this is not even about me. Maybe this is because you want to bring about change in somebody else. Lord, all different perspectives that we could see. So, Father, I ask that you would give us those. 
Help us to see a different perspective. And Lord, I pray, finally, that you would make us a people that right in the middle of our circumstances that we don't want, that we wouldn't wish on anybody else, that we wish would go away, right in the middle of it that we would praise you, that we would praise through our circumstances. That we would praise right through them. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.